Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is your host, Jason Moore, and also co-hosting with me today is Jeff Fry. Jeff, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? Awesome. I'm excited to dig in. And when we introduce our guest, Patrick McCowan, uh, did I say that badly? Yeah, I've heard worse. Uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll work with that one. That's all right, yeah. I try. I intentionally not practice people's names before I say them. You gave it, it a good go, so you did. That's all that matters. That's right. Thank you. And, you know, what I'll do is um, I'll try to read a short bio about you without taking any breaths in the middle of reading it. Okay. And, and then you could tell me what you learned about me uh, in that process. Well, as I listen to my bio, it's it's highly embarrassing listening to your bio, you know, so... Make it short. That's always better. It'll be very short, possibly, because I'll need to breathe in the middle of it, too. So, um, through your nose now, Jason. Uh, so, okay. I can't speak through my nose, though, right? The, uh, for, for those of you unfamiliar, Patrick is a world-renowned author. Um, uh, he's written a book five years ago called Oxygen Advantage, has another book coming out right now called Breathing Cure. Is that right, Patrick? That's right, Jason. That's correct. Yeah. It's, well, it's out in Europe. It's due for publication in the United States in July of 2021. So a couple of months from now. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's exciting. And um, that was my first tactic for sneaking in some breathing in the middle of your bio. You did well. Uh, if, if the audience hasn't gathered, there's going to be a little bit of talk about breath today. And, um, and Patrick has done a lot of work in this field. Um, he's done clinical training in the Buteco method. In uh, at the Buteco Clinic in Moscow, um, and from a young age, Patrick, you suffered from asthma. I probably this is a story you've heard before, I think, um, and relied on medication and inhalers and and many other things before discovering the Buteco method around 26 years old. Um, and so, kind of fast forwarding through some of this because you've done a lot in this field, and and I want to really pick your brain. Um, is that you've been asthma-free since then, and that uh, is something that over 20 years of medication failed to bring to you. So that's pretty interesting and inspiring, and we're always looking for ways to you know, harness the tools that we have uh, available to us without turning to uh, things like medicine first if we can. But um, yeah, and so in the process of writing about your work and publishing papers and things, you've become somewhat of an expert on this subject. And, um, you know, we were joking before we hit record here that we know a thing or two about HRV, you know a thing or two about breathing, we know a thing or two about each other. Let's all come together here and see if we can uh, have a good show. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds great, Jason. Well, yeah, thanks. And uh, maybe, uh, you know, Jeff uh, is is deep into your book as well. And um, so he's going to have some great insights to share with us. Maybe, Jeff, you can kind of kick us off in the right direction here. Yeah, well, I think maybe the first thing I'd love to talk about is this, um, you know, chronic overbreathing that our society uh, seems to find itself doing. Um, and this is relatively new to even someone who knows a lot about um, health and a lot about health information. And so I think this message um, could use even more um, broadcasting out to the general population, this, this, this epidemic of chronic overbreathing. So maybe you can just start there and, and inform our audience about that. Sure, Jeff. Uh, chronic overbreathing is one dimension of breathing pattern disorders. And normally when we look at breathing, we look at breathing either via biochemistry, the biomechanics, or a psychophysiological point of view. So the biochemistry aspect is related to carbon dioxide. Now, if one is cr prone to chronic stress, typically breathing gets faster and harder. And as a result, too much carbon dioxide can be removed from the blood through the lungs. And carbon dioxide is not just a waste gas, that it plays an important of, a number of important roles, including blood circulation and oxygen delivery. So, you know, chronic overbreathing 
it's not that everybody with symptoms of hyperventilation chronically overbreeds to the point that they have low CO2. But I suppose we should be looking at the bigger picture. People with breathing pattern disorders, and that's fairly common. To give you a couple of examples, it's more common in different subsets of the population. The normal population, it's probably about 10 to 20%. In the anxiety population, it's between 70 to 80%. In the asthma population, it's about 30%. But it's something that's very understudied. Now, one researcher, Kyle Kiesel, who's professor of physical therapy at Evansville University, he did a study of 51 individuals in 2018. And he looked at their breathing from different dimensions. They were 27 years of age, so young people. His conclusion was that if your breath hold time or your pulse score, if it's above 25 seconds, there's an 89% chance that dysfunctional breathing is not present. Now, people are probably wondering, well, what is dysfunctional breathing? Dysfunctional breathing simply means that your breathing could be a little bit faster and a little bit upper chest breathing. You could have a regular breathing. You could be breathing through your mouth and you've no natural pause on the exhalation, and your breathing implies some effort. So one way to screen for breathing pattern disorders is simply to measure your breath hold time or a comfortable breath hold time. And you can do this by taking a normal breath in and out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold, and you're timing it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe. And your breath at the end should be fairly normal. So that kind of gives you a good indicator. But, you know, breathing pattern disorders, like, I'll give you an example. I was a chronic mouth breather because I had nasal obstruction having asthma. And normally, if you do have asthma, the inflammation in your lungs travels up to your nose and vice versa. And because of chronic nasal obstruction, you don't typically breathe through your nose because it doesn't feel comfortable. And as a result, then you're going to breathe through your mouth. But mouth breathing engages the upper chest and mouth breathing also um, results in a faster breathing rate. So this is more of activating a fight or flight response. So you're more in that sympathetic mode. And the other thing about mouth breathing is when you have a breathing pattern disorder, your sleep is impacted very likely, and especially with asthma. So I, for example, had not just asthma or stuffy nose, but I had undiagnosed sleep apnea. Hmm. And I was told this when I was in university in student dorms, students would hear me snore. And then they said that I stopped breathing. Now, I hadn't a clue what it was. So, but they thought it was concerning and I just kind of let it, it went straight over my head. However, I was tired all the time. And when I look back, my concentration was adversely affected. My ability to hold my attention on subject matter was adversely affected. So for me, it had dreadful ramifications in terms of academic achievement. And that's why I really feel for the kids and the teenagers. And if, if somebody was to ask me, what are the two most important traits that you use in your everyday life that you use from a young age right through to older age? And those two traits are concentration and attention span. And if we look mm -hmm. at concentration, it's your ability to hold your attention on one thing. And your attention span is the length of time that you can hold your attention from one, on one thing. Society demands it. School demands it university demands it, workplace demands it, sporting life demands it, society demands it, we are supposed to be able to concentrate, nobody teaches us how. And when people talk about entering flow states, can you really enter flow states if you have dysfunctional breathing and if you have poor sleep? And this is where HRV is coming in. Because heart rate variability is putting some credence on breathing because of the science that has come out over the last 30 years. So when we think of heart rate variability, we have to wonder that, like HRV is a tremendous measurement to give feedback to people. And it's the first time that, you know, you can have an objective measurement of vagal tone or even an objective measurement of the impact that stress has on the human body. Like if you think of the amount of individuals who are under chronic stress and they go to their doctor and they're saying to their doctor, doctor, I feel stressed. The doctor has no way of quantifying the impact that stress is having on that person. But mm -hmm. with HRV, that's possible. And then this is where breathing comes in, because we can bring breathing to meet HRV to help optimize it. 
Yeah, that's great. And I think we have kind of attempted to highlight that in in, in a lot of podcasts and, and courses that we put out, that sort of thing. And we tend to focus on breathing cadence, breathing rate, and yes. as well as as well as to a certain degree the bio uh, mechanics of breathing. But what I love that you bring to the table is talk about the biochemistry of breathing. And can you can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, how a lot of maybe yogic practitioners, uh, biofeedback practitioners are kind of maybe missing the boat in, in, in that regard? Yeah, like I think people in breathing, we're trained according to different traditions. Mm-hmm. Like my background in Bioteco, I was trained primarily in the biochemistry. And I stuck in that tradition and I didn't give enough credence to the biomechanics or resonance frequency breathing. In actual fact, we were frowned upon to teach breathing according to counting the respiratory rate because there is a risk that you can increase the tidal volume resulting in an increase in minute ventilation, which will have a negative impact on the biochemistry. Mm. So we need to look at how breathing is taught. And breathing is typically taught or trained according to, you have your guru. And in yoga, the yoga instructor has their guru. And their guru is saying, this is the way to do it. Don't deviate outside of what I'm teaching you. That's pretty much the way it is. You know, so that's the only issue with this is that breathing doesn't move on. And I set up Oxygen Advantage in 2013, 2014. And I'll tell you why. I was given courses on anxiety and functional breathing and mindfulness. And 90%, I gave courses throughout Ireland from 2010 to 2013. This was post-economic crash. This was mm-hmm. as a result of a lot of hardship here, a lot of people losing their homes, a lot of people losing jobs, houses devaluation, devalued, and people lost a lot of money, and there was a lot of stress. I put these courses out, and 3,000 people attended workshops that I was giving over a three-year period. 90% of them were female. Now, I was wondering, where on earth are all the men in this? They weren't attending breathing courses. So I set up Oxygen Advantage as a means of high-performance breathing, bringing in breathing and physical exercise and pushing people and challenging them. And while doing so, training the brain to concentrate and focus. Now, Mm -hmm. the other aspect that I didn't realize at the time was that the oxygen advantage was not constrained by any tradition. And it allowed me to open it up to look at breathing from many different dimensions. I didn't feel, you know, constrained in any way because I cannot change the Buteco method. It's a wonderful Mm -hmm. method, but who am I to change it? But with oxygen advantage, I had the freedom to explore different techniques. And we've been constantly evolving. Now, the wonderful thing about this is that in terms of, I think there's a few mistakes that are made in terms of breathing. One is that breathing seems to be almost something that's only done on the mat and people forget about it outside of the mat. That is a mistake because Mm -hmm. it's not just how you're breathing on the mat, but it's how are you breathing walking down the street? How are you breathing during sleep? How are you breathing when you get stressed? We need to be looking at breathing 24-7. The second thing is, there is often an emphasis on the biomechanics, but there is no emphasis on nasal breathing. You will never achieve long-term good optimal amplitude of the diaphragm unless you breathe in and out through your nose. When we think of the mouth, you know, and so many people are talking about breathing low and breathing full breaths and lateral expansion and contraction as you breathe in, your tummy moves out, all good stuff, but you achieve that with nose breathing. And I always say to my students, look down at your chest and take a breath through your mouth. And when you see when you breathe through your mouth, you're typically activating the upper chest. And I think this is because of throughout our evolution. As human beings, we were innate nasal breathers, that the obligate mode of the breathing pattern of humans, regardless of age, is in and out through the nose. But we resorted to mouth breathing in emergency. Mm-hmm. So in times of emergency where we really had to, you know, physically move and we had to get out of there as quick as we can, we resorted to mouth breathing. Now, it seems that mouth breathing is in an emergency response. So what is this saying now about the 25 to 50 percent of studied children persistently breathing through their open mouth? What is this saying about the 50% of of adults sleeping with their mouths open during sleep? And mouth breathing is a fast respiratory rate because 
your nose implies a resistance to your breathing during wakefulness that's two to three times that of the mouth. And it's your mouth that puts a resistance to your breathing that's 2.5 times that of the nose during sleep. So I'll just kind of go through that again. Mm. When you breathe through your nose during the day, your nose is smaller entry. And as a result, it's slowing down the inhalation. But it's also slowing down the exhalation. But if you breathe in through your mouth, you don't have that resistance. And you can take a fast breath in and a fast breath out. Okay. So during wakefulness, your nose imposes a resistance to slow down breathing, which is, of course, is beneficial. It's beneficial on the breath in because you will tend to take the, the air lower into the lungs. It's beneficial because there's a greater gas exchange taking place from the lungs into the blood. And it's also beneficial during the exhalation because it's stimulating the vagus nerve, which is secreting acetylcholine, which is causing a slowing of the heart. And this information then is read by the brain that the body is in a safe environment when the heart is slowing down and relays information from the brain back to the body accordingly. Now, mouth breathing is a fast exhalation, always, even during rest, because it doesn't have that resistance. So as a result, then, we are not getting the benefits of the relaxation response. And I was that chronic mouth breather. And I have to tell you one thing. I had a racing mind. I didn't have anxiety. But my mind was all over the place. And sometimes you don't realize that you have a racing mind until you're, you're outside of it. Like it's like the person you ask somebody, do you feel stressed? I think a lot of people don't even know if they're feeling stressed. Mm -hmm. But if they're on holidays or if they move to a different job and if they look back to their old job or look back to a different scenario, then they have something to compare to. Mm -hmm. I had a racing mind and I had really poor sleep quality. And they go hand in hand. So I suppose that's a long answer to your question. I feel there's a number we need to get breathing out of left of field. That's another problem that oftentimes people think about breathing. They think it's something that's done by a bunch of hippies going around with open sandal brigades. We need to get this into the high performance because you know what? As I said, concentration and attention span. It's absolutely vital, even those two things, to train the brain to hold your attention on any subject matter. And at the moment, it's very much a wandering mind. It's very much a racing mind. And how can you train the brain to be focused and concentrated? When I'm coming in, somebody coming into me with a racing mind, you, we can give them breathing exercise to improve blood flow to the brain. That's what the biochemistry is about. You know, I suppose people don't realize that if you take this full big breath, you're not increasing oxygen uptake and you're not increasing oxygen delivery. A full big breath gets rid of too much carbon dioxide and the loss of carbon dioxide is causing the carotid arteries to constrict. And I'll give you an example with this. I was going in to do an exam in 1996-97 in a university in Dublin, Trinity College in Dublin. I was nervous going into the exam. I took a three-minute walk before I went into the exam and I took full big breaths because I believe that was the best way for me. And I walked into the exam hall absolutely lightheaded and spaced out. Now, I'm sure there are many people doing the same because they believe that the more air they breathe, the more blood flow, the more oxygen delivery. The opposite is correct. When you slow down your breathing and when you breathe light, and when I'm talking about breathing light, I'm talking about breathing slightly less air than normal. And it's not that we spend all day. It's not that I'm saying to somebody, I want you now from now on to breathe less air every waking minute. No, that's not what it's about. It's about spending time focusing on slowing down the speed of your breathing to slightly breathe less air. To increase carbon dioxide, which will give you a feeling of air hunger. So air hunger is signifying that carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood. And the increased carbon dioxide has a vagotropic effect. It stimulates the vagus nerve. Now, during the exercise, the, the HRV can drop a little bit. But after the exercise, HRV is increasing. And there's another aspect to this as well. The very group who need it most will find breathing exercises most challenging. Mm -hmm. people with high anxiety very much have a very fast respiratory rate and a racing mind and they can't do mindfulness either 
Instead, we can give them small breath hold exercises. So an exercise that we've been using for people with panic disorder for 20 years. Take a normal breath in and out through your nose. Pinch your nose and hold your breath and count to five. One, two, three, four, five. Let go. Breathe in through your nose. Breathe normal for 10 to 15 seconds. And repeat. And keep doing it. And you could do this for 10 minutes every hour. What that is doing is prolonging the exhalation. Because if you take a normal breath in and a normal breath out and then you stop breathing, it's the same as prolonging the exhalation for that period of time. Stimulates the vagus nerve and it helps to bring calmness to the person. So I think it's important to recognize where is the person at in terms of their breathing. And even if we think about COVID, which is not going to go away anytime too soon. Mm -hmm. And long COVID is an issue. And I looked at a recent report by Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. All patients with long COVID had low carbon dioxide. Now, how do we normalize carbon dioxide in the, in the blood? We normalize it through the breath by breathing slightly less air. Now, resonance frequency breathing can help with that as well. Breathing and reducing the respiratory rate down to six breaths per minute. Like, I have to say, the application of breathing and where it's going now is absolutely vast. And there's another topic that gets overlooked is female breathing. Female mm. breathing is different to male breathing since 1905. Mm. So, for example, a female during the menstrual cycle, days 10 to days 22, so it's mid-luteal to mid-follicular phase. There's an increase in the hormone progesterone and estrogen. Progesterone is a respiratory stimulant. Breathing becomes faster and shallow. The female is feeling anxiety and panic. Now, that's going to adversely affect her HRV, and it's going to adversely affect her sleep. Because if we breathe fast and shallow during sleep, the brain is feeling or thinking that the body is in an unsafe environment and will arouse you from deep sleep. So mm -hmm. in order to have deep sleep, we need nose breathing, we need light breathing, we need slow breathing, and we need deep breathing. So I use the acronym LSD because I think many people will remember it, especially teenagers in the 1990s. Light is about the biochemistry. Slow is about resonance frequency breathing or cadence breathing. And deep is about optimal amplitude of the diaphragm and so during sleep you know th there's um a lot to unpack there but kind of tactically and practically during sleep you know what are some of your favorite um things to apply i know that we've talked about mouth tape before um we've talked about adjusting pillows and uh things like that i'm sure that we could think about like air quality in the room or in my experience, even things that I've eaten have caused inflammation in the body to kind of constrict my airways um, and things like that. So uh, what are the things that you look at uh, when you're thinking about optimizing breathing during sleep, you're kind of tactically and practically focused? Well, the elephant in the room here that seldom gets talked about, although you mentioned it, is breathing in and out through the nose during sleep. Mm -hmm. If you read 10 books on sleep, you will sleep, see all of the standard information. Have an airy bedroom. Good. Have a dark bedroom. Good. Have a silent bedroom. Good. Don't drink late at night. Wear blue light filter glasses before sleep. Don't eat late at night. All good. The elephant in the room is nasal breathing. And if, for example, and even I looked at a recent study that was in larger scope, May 2020. 95 individuals with established obstructive sleep apnea, relatively young people, 48 to 51 years of age. Out of the 95 individuals with established OSA, only 36 of them were nose breathers. The rest of them were solely mouth breathers or switching from mouth to nose breathing during their sleep. Now, when we look at their AHI index, the AHI index with the nasal breathing group was 27 events per hour. That means that they had 27 interruptions to their breathing during sleep. So either an apnea, which is they stop breathing for 10 seconds or more, or a hypopnea is when they have a reduction in the flow of their breathing uh, for 10 seconds or more, which is causing their blood oxygen saturation to drop by 3 or 4%. Okay, 
The nasal breathing group had 27 events per hour. The mouth breathing group had 52 events per hour, almost double. Now, that is the difference. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's not just about getting your mouth closed during sleep. Like, well, let's do this, Jason. What I'd like you to do now is to have a nice big snore through your mouth. So go like this. That's good practice. Well done. Now I need you to breathe. I need you to keep your lips together. And now try and snore through your mouth with your lips closed. Through your mouth. Okay. So you see it's pretty much impossible. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mouth snoring can disrupt. Can disrupt. Of course can disrupt the sleeper. Now what I'd like you to do is to snore through your nose. And it goes like this. Oh, it's expert. Now what I need you to do is keep your lips together. Breathe in and out through your nose. And what I really need you to do is now slow down the speed of the breath in. So slow down the speed of the air coming into your nose. And have a very slow and relaxed prolonged exhalation. And now slow down the speed of the air coming into the nose. And have a slow relaxed prolonged exhalation. Continue to breathe slowly. And as you breathe slow, try and snore through your nose as you breathe slow. So try and snore through your nose as you breathe slow. Now, it's possible, but it's less. We need to think of the human airway. And when I'm talking about the human airway, I'm talking about the space at the back of the nose, the nasopharynx, the space at the back of the mouth, the oropharynx, the throat itself. Sleep medicine looks at this airway solely from an anatomical point of view as a pipe, but mm-hmm. they don't look at flow. And mm. when, I, when we talk about resistance to breathing, can you imagine an engineer going to look at a pipe without asking the question, what is the flow going through this? Now, mm. flow is your breathing. And if you have somebody with faster breathing, with harder breathing, with upper chest breathing, with mouth breathing, that increases their resistance to breathing during sleep. So mm-hmm. it's not just about getting the mouth closed during sleep, but getting the mouth closed is very important. And also tongue resting posture, because we need to have the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, because then that helps to open up airway space. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. anatomy of the, <clears throat> of the airway is better when the mouth is closed. But also we need light breathing, slow breathing and deep breathing. And it's how we breathe during the day that determines how we breathe during sleep. So, you know, the taping of the mouth, like we brought out a tape last year that goes around the mouth specifically for children. And then it proved popular with adults as well, especially adults with anxiety. A lot of people are a little bit apprehensive about wearing tape across the lips. Like I can show you just to give you an example, because this is the one thing that people feel is totally off the wall. But I'll Mm -hmm. tell you this, back in 1997, I read that newspaper article and it said two things, breathe through your nose and breathe light. Now, my nose was always stuffy and I've always issues with my nose. I've a deviated septum and everything else. Um, I did the nose unblocking exercise and it worked, but I felt quite a degree of suffocation breathing through my nose because I was years mouth breathing. And you can decongest your nose by simply holding the breath. Now, don't do this if you're pregnant or if somebody has got severe cardiovascular issues. But to open up your nose, all you need to do is take a normal breath in and out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold, and just walk. Or you could even just gently nod your head up and down. So we'll do it again. Take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold your nose and gently nod your head up and down holding your breath. And keep... Keep holding your breath and gently nodding your head up and down as you hold your breath until you have a moderate to strong air hunger, but then let go, but breathe in through your nose. So the first time you do it, do it easy enough, you know, just to get used. So maybe let go there and breathe in through your nose. Now, if you do that five or six times, you'll start to notice your nose is opening up. And the one thing about the human nose is that the more we use it, the better it works. Mm. So back in 97, I went to sleep that night. And I taped my mouth using 3M one-inch micropore tape. And I used breathe light strips across my nose. The first morning, I was kind of getting used to it. I can't remember anything great the first morning waking up. I went to bed the second night, did the same again. And I woke up the second morning, and it was the best night's sleep I had in 15 years. And that is absolutely genuine. 
and every person coming in through my door over the last 20 years, and I've had about 8,000 people coming in. I've had people coming in with depression, with trauma, with PTSD, with anxiety, with panic disorder, with asthma, um, with sleep disorders, children, and then sports. You know, I've always emphasized, get your mouth closed during sleep. How can you have quality of the mind unless you have a good night's sleep? So I want to finish it. I do, but I'll just do a quick demonstration because I'll show you this. This is, for example, now this isn't the colors that we normally have, but this will give you an example. This is a military color, a camouflage. You dry your lips and you get the tape and you stretch it. It's elasticated cotton and it's quite stretchable hmm. and it generates a tension that's bringing my lips together. So it's pouting the lips, but there's oh, no okay. risk. Mm-hmm. Because that was always an issue. Um, we have a skin color tape, so it doesn't have to be so in your face. <laughs> well, that's interesting. If for the folks just listening over audio, the tape that Patrick is showing us doesn't actually cover the lips. It goes around the lips, which is really interesting. Um, and yeah, that's something that, uh, you know, it sounds like if we were to break that down and focus on improving the breathing at night when you're unconscious that there are some things that you can do like apply tape that uh, depending upon your conditions are relatively low risk and maybe a way to kickstart kind of some of your progress or at least have you experience what it's like to um, have better breathing but maybe something that you don't want to just solely rely upon to for long-term success because the other things that you need to do are build up the strength in the musculature and the uh, mechanics of breathing uh, when the tape isn't present through your nose and uh, to do what you said, which was uh, shallower, lighter, and no, Light. lower. <laughs> Go ahead. And- L- LSD. LSD. Light. That's right. Light. <laughs> lighter. Slow. Slower. And deep. So deeper. lighter is about the, the biochemistry. So that's about breathing a little bit less. Like maybe people, I know you want to step in, Jeff, maybe people to try it. You know, if you, if if you're sitting at home and you're not driving your car or anything like that, put one hand on your chest and put one hand just above your navel and tune into your breathing pattern and feel the slightly colder air coming into the nose and the slightly warmer air as it leaves your nose. And as you tune into your breathing pattern, really slow down your breathing almost at your breath is imperceptible. And don't worry if you're breathing fast or if you're breathing, sorry, don't worry if you're breathing shallow or low. doesn't matter for this moment because we're focused on the biochemistry. The whole aspect here is to breathe less air. How do you breathe less air? Really slow down the speed of the air coming into your nose. And at the top of the breath, a total feeling of relaxation to the body and a slow and relaxed exhalation. And then when you need to take a breath in, take a very soft and light and slow breath in, and a really slow and relaxed exhalation. The objective is that you're feeling less air than what, the objective is that you're breathing less air than what you would normally breathe. Now, the two of you are doing it because your eyes have changed. So Mm -hmm. normally there's a glassiness that happens in the eyes when you do it, when you feel air hunger. Now, the other thing to check here is check if there's any change in the saliva in the mouth. Is it less? Is it more? Is it the same? So that can be, and also to check mental states. So when you were asking about one thing that we would recommend before sleep is to reduce the volume of air that you breathe for 15 minutes before sleep. Mm. And what that does is it, it dampens the sympathetic response and it's increasing the parasympathetic response. And normally when people breathe less air the way you did it there, you've got increased watery saliva in the mouth and they feel drowsy. An increased watery saliva is, a, is, an, is an indicator that you've stimulated the vagus nerve. Because I think people are overstimulated and they can't switch off. You know, if we were to talk about insomnia, you know, a person falling asleep but having diff, like people are half awake, half awake mm-hmm. during the day and not able to, to fall asleep so readily during sleep. So insomnia may be having difficulty falling asleep or 
having four or five hours of sleep and then waking up. And that's the most challenging because if you're already mm. after having four or five hours mm -hmm. and then you wake up, you're not exhausted enough to go back to sleep, but you're not quite awake enough to get back to get up. And why would you wake up? What would cause you to wake up out of your deep sleep? One is faster breathing rate because the brain is considering that the body is under threat. So for example, if your duvet is too warm, but if you have a breathing pattern disorder and your mouth breathing, you're going to also have a faster breathing rate. And the second one would be stopping breathing during sleep or having a hypopnea. So, and this really ties in with HRV, you know, it really, really does, because I think sleep is really so important and vital for recovery. And definitely. I mean, we spend so much time doing it, right? So for sure. <laughs> well, and some of us not doing it well. <laughs> right. I'd love to hop in here and just put, put a fine point on that with an anecdote, which is my anecdote. Um, I mean, I've been interested in health for like 15 years. I've been, you know, interested in sleep and how I can improve that for 15 years. I like a long time ago before it was cool. I was wearing the blue blocking sunglasses before bed. You know, I'll put tinfoil up on windows to, to keep it completely black, that sort of thing. And those have all, all like improved my sleep, but it's only recently that this whole breathing thing uh, has been on my radar. And let me tell you, I mean, that has really dramatically improved. I've, I've struggled with snoring for a long time. I use an app to track, you know, it takes audio uh, throughout the the evening and it tracks, you know, how long I've been snoring and it's not perfect, but you know, on a good night, I was getting 20 minutes of snoring on a bad night. It was an hour, an hour and a half of snoring and, um, implementing some of these more breathing oriented sleep changes like the, the mouth tape, um, like the nasal, uh, strip. And then mm -hmm. most recently, like a humidifier. I mean, I've gotten mm -hmm. my snoring down to one to two minutes per night, um, stuff very consistently. And it's just, it, you know, you can feel the difference. And I know that mm -hmm. this is something that a lot of people, um, are concerned with, but I, I don't think that the general public really knows this. The general public doesn't know necessarily even that snoring is, you know, problematic to their sleep and much less whether or not they're snoring or not. And, um, anyway, that's, uh, a, a long diatribe as to what I've seen in my own, um, my own personal scenario. And I'm sure you got tons of stories mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a very, very common team. And whether we're working with athletes top level in their early 20s, they can have sleep disruptions, needing to get up to go to the bathroom during the night. None of us should have to get up to go to the bathroom during the night because that would imply that we've had sleep fragmentation. But also in terms of waking up at a dry mouth in the morning, if you wake up at a dry mouth in the morning, you're not likely to have that. You're not likely to have that feeling of a full and deep, refreshing sleep. And I think it, again, it's only when people have something to compare to. I was tired when I was a teenager and into university years. But you kind of, what, what can you compare it to if that's the way you feel all the time? Mm -hmm. And it's only when you do something and then you, you feel that there's a big difference here and you have something to compare back to. But, Jeff, all of these tools... They're very, very simple tools. They don't cost much money. Like, you know, even the tape that we have, $25 for three months supply, $7 a month. You know, the breed right strips you're using a few dollars. Um, and that's really the key. And I think we're, you're talking about doctors not knowing and the general public about not knowing about the importance of nose breeding. I'll give you a story. One doctor has since passed on. His name is Dr. Christian Guimano. And he was a Stanford-based medical doctor, a French doctor. And in the 1970s, he teamed up with a cardiologist. And he said, let's, mon let's monitor people's breathing during sleep, those people with high blood pressure. And he looked at the type of breathing they had during sleep. And he noted that they were stopping breathing. And he came up with the phrase, or coined the phrase, obstructive sleep apnea. He also developed the apnea hypopnea index. So here is the founding father of sleep medicine. And in the last five years of his life, he spoke about, in quotes, the critical importance of restoring nasal breathing both during wakefulness and sleep. Now, I remember being in a sleep con congress in Bordeaux in 2016, 
I was talking at it. Many people were talking at it and he was talking at it. And I remember during one of the speaker's events, he stood up in the middle of the room and he said, doctors, he says, you are missing the truly one thing that can make a difference here. And he said that one thing is breathing in and out through your nose. Now, you'll find papers that he has written about the importance of nose breathing. But unfortunately, it's going to take about 20 years for this to trickle down. That's how long mm-hmm. it takes. But I think the fact that the top sleep doctor in the world, who's considered to be the founding father of sleep medicine, has been talking about it. That's going to lend good credence, good credibility. And we all have to do it. I remember him talking about children. And he said that we need we need all of these professions. We need engineers. We need teachers. We need accountants. We need all of these professions. And in quotes, children's brains are getting fried because of mouth breathing and sleep disorder breathing. And it was only afterwards that I read a study by Karen Bonnock, and it was published in the journal Pediatrics in 2012. She looked at 11,000 children in Stratford-upon-Avon in the UK. And she looked at the connection that children with sleep disorder breathing, which included snoring. You know, you don't have to have a child stopping breathing. Snoring is problematic. Children, if untreated by age five, they had a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight. Hmm. Now, that is absolutely dreadful. And kids who are sleepy, they have 10 times the risk of learning difficulties. You know, so we really need to get information out there, especially for the kids coming up, because, you know, it's so common and nobody knows. The parents don't know. And as the school teacher thinks that the child is acting up, like, I can only imagine, you know, you send a coo- uh, you send a kid to school and that child is tired. They're going to get very frustrated because they can't hold their attention. And mm-hmm. of course, they're going to act up. Like if we have a bad night's sleep, say if we mm-hmm. have one bad night's sleep, you wake up that morning, it's like a hangover. It's just mm-hmm. not nice, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it affects your entire day. But I think there's more to this than just what we're talking about. I'll give you an example. Ten years ago, a woman came in to me with depression. And just out of conversation, I says, I said, when you wake up in the morning, I said, how do you feel? And she said, I wake up feeling absolutely exhausted. And I asked her, has anybody ever asked you about your sleep quality? And she said, no. Now, she's under the care of a psychiatrist. She was under the care of the medical doctor, etc. Nobody looked at her sleep. I think they suspected that it was her depression which was causing her exhaustion. Mm-hmm. But it's likely, and when I started looking through the research, if you have insomnia and obstructive sleep apnea together, you've got a greater risk of depression. I think her sleep disorder was causing her depression and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And again, this is tying in with for people to monitor their stats. It is absolutely vital which, you know, inexpensive options to really track how are you doing, and especially during sleep. It's all tied together, isn't it? With it is, the, totally. The, the biochemistry, the psychophysiology, the, the mechanics, yep. and, and ultimately, like you said at the very beginning of this, that the way that our culture and society has evolved is that we prioritize a lot of the mental performance and cognitive performance, you know, we reward cognitive performance very highly. Of course, physical performance is also rewarded, but for far fewer people than for cognitive performance. And, um, and when uh, you are supposed to be spending roughly a third of your life sleeping and it just, uh, and, you know, we're very dependent upon nutrition as well, which I, in the past, Jeff and I have both spent a lot of time uh, on nutrition, but um, oftentimes the basics get overlooked um, mm-hmm. in lieu of something more complicated sounding because I think there's this natural, in a way, it's easier to label and say that I have these issues because of some complicated thing, right? And so uh, it's, it sounds weird to say, but it's sort of like the path of least resistance to say, I have a complicated situation. It's just how things are in the world. I can't, you know, 
I have to do something complicated to resolve my situation. Mm -hmm. The basics aren't, you know, it can't be that easy, right? Yeah, yeah. No, the basics have been overlooked. And, you know, even just looking at it from this perspective, somebody with anxiety of the mind will often be told or encouraged maybe to do mindfulness. And this is an area that I'm approaching now. And it stems back to when I was working a lot with people with anxiety. People with anxiety will find doing mindfulness very difficult because when the mind is in a state of emotional turmoil, it's very difficult to pay attention to your thoughts because there's a lot of negative stuff coming up there. And also it's very difficult to pay attention to your breathing because the mind is all over the place. So I've started a hierarchy of concentration, a little bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which most people are familiar with. And the bottom tier is functional sleep. And the next tier is functional breathing. And when you've got good sleep and when you've got good breathing, then you can do breath aware, body aware, mind aware. In actual fact, mindfulness is what you, what you do when you have good sleep patterns and it's coming back to this can you have a calmness of the mind we spoke about if you're waking up in the morning and you're feeling lousy you're not going to be calm mind but also if you have dysfunctional breathing patterns whether due to hormonal changes with the female and then postmenopausal women sleep disorder breathing increases between 200 to 300 percent but also food will impact your breathing stress is impacting your breathing Sleep is impacting your breathing and you can have a genetic predisposition towards poor breathing patterns, anxiety. So we need to look at sleep. We need to look at functional breathing. Then we bring in breath aware. Start paying attention onto your breath as a means of training the brain to hold its attention on one thing. Bring in body aware to be able to pay attention to the body and at least to pick up when you're feeling a little bit stressed, you know, Because a lot of people, and I think men more so, we're trained analytically. And we have been trained to how to think, how to break information into tiny pieces. We have been trained how to think, but we have not been trained how to stop thinking. We don't have control over our mind. And most people are accepting whatever the mind throws up at them to be true. And they're Mm -hmm. reacting accordingly. And they're not paying attention to what they're, they're thinking. But that's later on. So this is where, and HRV is coming all the way in because, you know, in terms of the improving resilience and getting a better balance in, in, and stimulating, you know, increasing the sensitivity of the baroreceptors, stimulating mm-hmm. the vagus nerve and nose breathing during sleep. Many people, you know, have reported back to me that when they have their mouth closed during sleep, it improves their HRV. Light breathing that we talked about has a vagotropic effect, the increase of carbon dioxide. Slow breathing to a resonance of between 4.5 and 6.5 breaths per minute, average around 6. And then increased tidal volume or amplitude of the diaphragm. And, you know, that way, I think these are tremendous tools. And I'll say this, people with anxiety... And people with panic disorder, they go to their psychologist or their psychiatrist and they do cognitive behavioral therapy. But is their healthcare professional looking at their sleep and looking at their breathing and tracking their HRV? Because you can do all of the CBT in the world. But if you have an individual who is breathing faster in upper chest, physiologically, they are in a state of fight or flight. And... Also, physiologically, if they have low carbon dioxide in the blood, they've got an increased sensitivity to carbon dioxide. They've got a very strong fear reaction to the feeling of suffocation. Mm -hmm. So, for example, whenever they feel that air hunger or suffocation in their everyday life, it can bring them into that panic attack. And that's part of what we're doing as well, because somebody comes in, first of all, I have to assess, which is quite easy because I have them do breathing exercises to generate a little bit of a feeling of suffocation, but I see how do they react to it. So we can determine how how strongly are they reacting to the feeling of suffocation. But then we give them a teaspoon to desensitize their body's alarm response to it. 
So from a number of different times, you know, it's it's really important. Yeah, that there's it's I mean some it's many times like the hardest things in life that matter the most and uh you know the the hard things take practice and um you know exercise is an easy uh analogy to make there um there's no way to get stronger faster or more endurance without causing a little bit of uh stepwise discomfort in the process and mm-hmm. um you know it's really interesting like from the mechanics side of things the two things that really stood out to me that were kind of I think highlighted more than I've heard before are um, the the muscle muscles and uh, strength of the nose and ability to breathe through the nose being sort of a, a a practice and an exercise and then also keeping the tongue in the roof of the mouth is something that I've learned a lot more about recently um, even from an exercise point of view as far as like stabilizing the neck and being able to um, like keep, uh, keep all the passageways open while exerting yourself and things like that. Having the, uh, the tongue pressed into the roof of your mouth can be very advantageous for that. Um, yeah. and there's more because, okay. Yeah. I'd love to learn more a, about that. I remember again, it was another, like for the last 10 years, of course, the last year I haven't done any travel, but before that, you know, we were, I was talking a lot, different events. And I remember watching one video that was shown by a doctor and he showed a patient walking down the corridor and the patient had a poor gait. It was very off mm-hmm. with his walk. And the doctor stopped the patient, got him to place the tongue on the roof of the mouth, lips together, the camera kept rolling, and the patient started walking better just by virtue of getting the tongue. And I was looking at that and I said, I couldn't believe what I was seeing because it was it was an instant change that happened just with changing something very small. But we were in a a room with medical doctors. So, you know, you cannot not deny it, but there was a study since and they blindfolded individuals and they put them on uneven surface and with the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, they had better balance. So there is something going on with the tongue that is more than we, we probably are acknowledging. And there's another thing about nasal breathing. Attention and memory increases with nasal breathing. And this could also be tied in with the vagus nerve as well. Because there was one study whereby they showed people scary stimuli. And they monitored their ability to recall whether they were breathing through their nose or through the mouth. And nasal breathing had better recall. You know, so, and then if we think of memory, then as people are getting older, people with Alzheimer's and dementia typically have low heart rate variability. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, there seems to be some connection there, but there's an, there is a depth here that is going beyond what we're giving it, you know, attention to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Patrick, so your uh, book is coming out in the US in July. It's already released in Europe. And you said that it's a pretty, uh, big and uh, full of information. Uh, and so something that if people really like to go deep on these subjects, is that a good, that would be the resource you would point them to, I assume? Yeah. And I know Jeff wants to talk about excessive talking. Um, so we, <laughs> we'll spend Which is a couple of minutes on that as well, because I think that is an interesting one. So Jason, I wrote a book back, well, I've, I've eight books or nine books. Um, but one of the books that I wrote that was is quite popular is one called The Oxygen Advantage. And I wrote that back in 2015. That's kind of more about sports performance. And the more recent one is called The Breathing Cure. And this is looking at topics in breathing, functional movement, for example, and functional breathing, mm-hmm. craniofacial development in children, sleep, epilepsy, diabetes, asthma, COVID, female breathing. Um, yeah, it's 190,000 words. So it's about 560 pages. It's so big that our publisher took out big chunks of it and you can access that online in terms of the references. But oh. I had to do a book that gave credibility. I think breathing has been dismissed. It has been overlooked. People aren't taking it seriously enough. And I will say that changing your breathing, it's not a cure-all, but I will say this. You can influence all of the major disciplines of health by changing your breath. And I'm talking about respiration. I'm talking about mental health. 
not just for people with anxiety and panic, but also to improve resilience, focus, concentration, attention span. I'm talking about movement. I'm talking about dentistry. Children with their mouth open are more prone to crooked teeth. We're talking about sleep. So excessive talking is another interesting one. And this really ties in with people who are not just talking socially, but talking as part of their living. So you can imagine... Like all three of us, maybe, yeah. <laughs> the three of us. But you can imagine somebody waking up or going into work at 9 o'clock in the morning, and they are literally talking until 5 o'clock that day. They've got clients, they've got meetings, and they are exhausted at the end of the day's talking. It is not the mental concentration, but it is, it is the change that your talking is having on respiratory rate. And very often it drives up the heartbeat as well. So, for example, people who are talking a lot... You know, if they were to measure their heartbeat at the end of the day, they can often find it quite elevated. Mm. And again, that's not just due to the, that is the effect on breathing patterns. We have never had to talk throughout revolution for eight hours a day. Can you imagine our ancestors sitting in a cave and some guy is, is sitting there and he's talking for eight hours? They'd have him, they'd have him thrown out. So it wasn't something that our ancestors had to do. We've never had to do it throughout our, our evolution. Talking, especially to the extent that we are doing it now, is recent. Mm -hmm. And even 50 years ago, most of us didn't have to talk eight hours a day. Like, Can you think of how many occupations 50 years ago that required eight hours of talking? Not really? many. School teaching, maybe the shopkeeper. But then again, the shopkeeper wouldn't have been talking for eight hours. So nowadays, think of the amount therapists and doctors and all of the healthcare professionals so yeah there really is something here um the rule of thumb is never hear your breathing during talking mm. that's always a rule of thumb you won't always breathe through your nose mm -hmm. you know it's you know we have to be realistic people say oh there's the king of nasal breathing and he's taking a breath in through the mouth in between his sentences that's right but you don't hear me breathe now, I could talk and breathe through the nose, but it would sound a little bit like this. I would take a breath in through the nose and then I would talk, 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 and I would talk until I run out of air. And then I would stop breathing and I would stop talking to take another breath in through my nose like this. Mm -hmm. And the problem is it's not really conducive to keeping your audience interested. <laughs> That's the problem. We sure. should do a podcast with only nose breathing allowed. And <laughs> that would be a challenge, huh? Great pauses. <laughs> well, and, and my joke about that is I'm a very introverted person. I know that Jason's an extroverted person. I'm like, you see, I'm healthier because I'm introverted. <laughs> I, I like to talk <laughs> it, less than you do. <laughs> well, there's huge role for introverts in this society, and they have not been recognized. And if we look at all of the mess-ups in the finance, finance world, when you put a bunch of extroverts in at the helm and society rewards the big mouth. Now, by the way, I'm mm -hmm. an introvert too. Mm -hmm. If I showed you where I live, I live absolutely in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but I talk as part of my living. I don't think ever we're fully introvert or extrovert. No. But I think we're either one way, we're a little bit skewed towards one or the other. Sure. But introverts have a huge role in society. They're more inward looking. They think things through. They're less risk takers mm. compared to the big guy coming in with doing the high five in the banking system and big risk taking and not taking any thinking beforehand. And that can get us into a lot of trouble. Introverts are very important for balance. Very important. And potentially breathe more through their nose. <laughs> yes, well, silence can be very, very good. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, this is uh, really interesting because I think we've had a lot of conversations about breath on this podcast, and we've talked to a lot of different people. And I think you mentioned um, part of the way through this that there's a lot of great information that comes from different camps and that you're uh, – role and or you kind of have set your business and your path up such that you're like the Bruce Lee of breathing uh, in the sense that you take uh, what works from different, um, you know, traditions and research and 
um, trial and error through your own practice and try to come up with, you know, a combination of things that works the best uh, from what you can find. And so um, that I really appreciate that approach. And I feel like this conversation has actually done the same thing almost for the, the conversations that we've had. Uh, on this podcast has taken a lot of these concepts and tied them together into kind of nice frameworks that, for example, noting that it's not just biochemistry, it's not just psychophysiology, it's not just biomechanics, it's the three of those and potentially more as we learn uh, more over time. And then LSD, Lighter, slower, deeper. If I, I knew you'd right. remember that one. All right. It took me, you know, uh, <laughs> no. So um, it's, you know, and I think that in general, I find that it's looking to the basics first and not trying to overcomplicate things, but it's also not oversimplifying the bigger picture, right? Mm -hmm. So like how all these things fit together uh, matters, right? Um, and so, what you said there, no, Jason, is key. Yeah. It's how they all fit together, and the human body is very complex. And it, you know, the way the human body has treat being treated in medicine by dividing the human body into separate pieces and focusing on one part and excluding the others. And when we th when we think of resilience and adaptability as a human being. We have to consider the bi-directional relationship between many functions of the human body. And if one function is off, it can affect another function. And it's not mm -hmm. about overly complicating it. It's about looking at breathing in terms of a little bit more depth, that we can influence blood circulation, we can influence oxygen delivery, we can open up the airways, we can achieve better diaphragmatic breathing. And looking at what does the diaphragm do in terms of breath from the biomechanics, but the connection between the diaphragm and the emotions, the connection between the diaphragm providing stabilization for the spine, lymphatic drainage, venous return to the heart. So there's a lot going on even with the diaphragm. And then looking at resonance frequency breathing in terms of increasing alveolar ventilation, in terms of optimizing or increasing vagal tone you know, strengthening the, the barrel reflex and bringing all of that together. But in order to look at breathing, we can't just look at breathing alone either, but we have to tie in sleep and we also have to bring in the mind. Sleep and the mind and breathing are hand in hand. If your breathing is off, it will affect your emotions. If your emotions are off, it affects your breathing. If your emotions are off, it affects your sleep. And if your sleep is off, it's going to affect your emotions and breathing. So that those that triangle is very, very important. But that's just with a little bit of information. And I would say to anybody, look at breathing and start with nasal breathing, even during physical exercise. You know, do your best and ask yourself, what does the mouth do in terms of the breath? Does the mouth perform any function? Does it moisten the air? No. Does it regulate volume? No. Does it filter the incoming air? No. It does nothing. The mouth is a hole. That's all it is. It's a hole whereby air can come into the lungs. As you take air in through your mouth, that air goes straight down your throat into your lungs. Your mouth does zero, zilge, nothing. And even starting off with nasal breathing, and for people to, to realize, poor breathing is if you can hear it during rest, if the respiratory rate is quite fast, and a little bit upper chest, and if you have irregular breathing, breathing during rest should never be an effort. It should always be effortless. And that's what we're looking to achieve. And I think it's just going back to basics, you know. How did our ancestors breathe? And in turn then, improving what the technology that you're working with, that people can track objectively now where they are at in terms of stress and balance of the autonomic nervous system and we have to consider this. I know society tends to look favorably on the people who are pushing themselves hard and working hard, but there's a point at which too much stress is not good. And mm -hmm. we have to realize that. So at least having some objective measurement of where you're at in terms of your resilience, avoiding burnout, 
and also fulfilling your potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably a great place to wrap up, uh, Patrick. Uh, before I do that, I, I want to do a couple of things. The first is just thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been an extreme pleasure for me. I'd love to talk to you for another hour or two, um, selfishly, but uh, unfortunately, we don't have the time for that. Um, but we touched on tons of subjects, a lot of things to, um, you know, what our appetites about uh, a lot of things, a little work that you're doing. And I'd love to give our listeners um, a quick breakdown of where the best places to to find out more is we, we've talked a little bit about that. We've talked about this book that's coming out in the US um, and is already out in Europe. And that's, uh, remind me of the name of that again. That's called The Breathing Cure. And it's currently available from oxygenadvantage.com. Okay. And it's for pre-order as well on amazon.com. Okay. And Great. then with social media, we have Oxygen Advantage and we also have Buteco Clinic. And our children's breathing program, just if I can say, it's completely free. Mm. So, for example, you'll get that from butecoclinic.com, all of the breathing exercise for children, which are up on YouTube. And there's a lot of exercise there that people can try if if you're feeling panicky or if you have asthma or, for example, COVID. I put up all of the breathing exercise for long COVID back in March of 2020. And they've had 800,000 views and a lot of people have used them. And again, completely free. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's out there. So, yeah, why not use it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll do our best to, to link to all those things you mentioned in the show notes for this episode. Um, but otherwise, uh, thank you again so much, Patrick. And uh, I hope you uh, are sticking in there during wor- the tail end of this pandemic, hopefully. So. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hey, thank you. The Elite Academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects. So if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, check out the Elite Academy at EliteHRV.com academy.